Um, these are two events that, of course, are very significant um, in our Christian faith. And, of course, God's plan of redemption and the establishment of his kingdom. Um, I also felt, when I did uh, a lot of reflection, that I wanted to emphasize um, the supremacy of God and the love of God. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about as well. I'm going to see if these work. Oh, look at that. Perfect. Okay. I'm sorry about the, uh, the quality of that printing. I'm not sure why it's like that. Can you read that? Because I was thinking that we would say this together. Now, I've bolded the part that I'm to be addressing today. But um, I'm, I'm sort of uh, putting on my Sunday school teacher hat. The more we say it, the more we'll learn it, uh, the more it'll get in our head. So let's take a minute and say this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So today, as I say, I want to um, emphasize God's love and supremacy, but we'll first of all uh, just look at the events of the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus and talk about why it's significant. Why is it in this creed? Why is it significant to our faith? And what does it really mean for me? And then I want to take some time to just look at specifically at God's love and supremacy in these two events. And then lastly, looking at what difference does this make in my life? So if we look at the resurrection of Jesus, um, uh, I've listed four reasons uh, altogether about why the resurrection of Jesus is significant. There's two on this slide and two on the next. And I've listed some of the Bible verses uh, there. Um, certainly, um, Mayu read um, from the John 21 and some of the others I'll refer to and some others uh, I won't necessarily. But just so you know that I hope everything I'm saying is biblical. Um, so the resurrection of Jesus, just remembering the facts that um, after three days of being dead and there was confirmation of his death through this spear uh, in his side and through being laid in the tomb, um, it being guarded with soldiers, Jesus did come back. He bodily came back. Um, he was able to eat and talk and um, interact with people on earth. Um, but he was also able to sort of just appear in a room without coming through a door. So um, very interesting, his resurrected body, uh, what he could do. So why is the resurrection significant? Well, first of all, it demonstrated victory over sin and death and marked Jesus as Lord. And we know that Jesus paid the penalty on the cross, but it was really demonstrated as victory when he rose again. 
we can think of the passage that was actually one of the songs we sung in 1 Corinthians 15. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have that victory. Christ was victorious. He rose. He conquered uh, the grave and death. It marked Jesus as Lord. Who can rise from the dead but God? And um, uh, Jesus, uh, there's in, in Romans 1, it says, Jesus, through the spirit of holiness, was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so it really marked him as God. It also means that we worship a living, supernatural, all-powerful God. Bill reminded us last week about the power of God displayed when Jesus died. If you remember, the curtain was torn, rocks split, the earth shook, tombs were opened, and bodies of saints were raised. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty miraculous. Um, The same thing when Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, We remember that there was an earthquake and the tomb was rolled away. Um, More power being shown by God and Jesus being raised from the dead. Uh, Some of the scriptures for this. um, uh, The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. He is God. He has that authority. And just a reminder of the awesome greatness and power of our God in First Chronicles twenty nine eleven. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head overall. I really like this one quote that I found in one of the books that I was reading in preparation for this. It said, a dead Jesus can be a teacher or a martyr, but he cannot be our savior. Isn't that true? A lot of other religions will worship someone who has died. We don't worship someone who is dead. We worship someone who's died but rose again and had victory over that. We worship an all-powerful God. The resurrection of Jesus also guaranteed our forgiveness and justification. So it really completed the process. And again, putting on my Sunday school teacher hat, justification, uh, we were always told, is just as if you never sinned. And so because of Jesus' resurrection, you can come. Jesus paid uh, the price for your sins, and you can come before God boldly and as pure and, and clean and without sin. Um, a couple of verses for this Romans four, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So that justification happens with the resurrection of Jesus. And we're familiar with Romans three, 23 and 24 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We're pure and whole and clean because of that resurrection. The resurrection also gives us hope and assurance of our own resurrection. 
Um, one of the uh, commentators I was reading says, death remains the enemy of sinful human beings. But intellectually, I know that death has become a safe place in Christ. God confronted the grave on its own turf and won. I think about uh, Mary's sister-in-law, Rita, who is going on to her reward. And even though death can seem scary to us, um, it, it doesn't have to be. God, Jesus conquered death. We are assured of a life forever with him. Um, and that brings hope to us. Let me read uh, Romans 6, 3 to 5. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be reunited reunited with him in a resurrection like his. Rita's sister-in-law is going on to be resurrected just as Christ is resurrected. And of course, we know Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So these are important points about the resurrection. Why did it have to happen? Uh, For those important points. The ascension of Jesus, uh, I guess there are churches that celebrate Ascension Sunday, but I don't remember if we've ever celebrated it here. Does anyone remember us ever celebrating Ascension Sunday? Anyway, it is a very, very, very important event, and uh, I was glad to be able to spend some more time thinking about it myself and um, celebrating it as well. So we're going to talk about four reasons why the ascension is so important, and we should actually pay a little bit more attention to it. Um, So just a reminder of what had happened, like Mayu read, uh, Jesus was with his disciples. This was 40 days after he had risen from the dead and he had appeared uh, to the disciples and to different people at various times. Um, It was day 40 and he was with them again and teaching them and uh, with them and telling them about being witnesses to him and the Holy Spirit coming. And then suddenly, as he was speaking to them and blessing him, he lift up his hands and he was carried uh, up in a cloud. Uh, And after that, the two angels came and spoke to the disciples saying, well, why are you staring up there? Jesus is going to come back. Um, So just a reminder of those uh, of what happened. Uh, Again, a quote from one of the um, um, authors that I was reading. The ascension is important because it is an essential element in the kingdom of God. And there is no more important theme in the Old and New Testament. This kingdom reaches its zenith in the coronation of Jesus as the eternal Messiah King. Jesus cannot be king without the ascension. The ascension starts the kingdom of God. Jesus went from this earth to the right hand of God. So it uh, basically marked the end of Jesus' extended earthly ministry. He was here, as we know, for 33 years. And actually, I got to thinking about that. And, 
You know, if a family member of yours had been away for 33 years, even if you could text them and, and video chat with them and you saw them after 33 years, it'd be pretty exciting. And I just think of God and the Holy Spirit inviting Jesus back up into heaven. And I think what an amazing thing that is. Have you guys ever thought about that? I didn't really think about it until, you know, when you have to... Um, uh, that's, that's one reason why I like to be asked to speak is because it forces you to think about some of these things in depth. And I just think what an amazing time that was. And I was also thinking, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but it was 10 days until um, after that that God sent the Holy Spirit down. And I think that's because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit wanted to spend more time together um, just there. And surely they were still... Um, um, thinking about us and interacting with us, but had that sweet fellowship. Um, okay, I have to get back on track here. Uh, Jesus um, predicted his ascension as well. In John 16, he says, I, ca- I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. And when you think about it, he really had to ascend in the way he did. Like if he, he couldn't really die again on earth and he couldn't just sort of disappear into things. Um, so this was a good way that the disciples actually could see him rising, um, and know that he was done and have the confirmation from those angels that that's where he went. The ascension of Jesus also demonstrated God's pleasure with Jesus and emphasized Jesus' equality with God. It's interesting to think of the fact that there was a cloud mentioned. And if if you think of clouds, clouds in the Bible often um, represent God's presence. And so if you think of the cloud for the Israelites, the pillar of cloud that led them in the desert, and if you think of the transfiguration where Jesus was there and it was what Moses and Elijah that came and a cloud enveloped them, Do you remember that story? And uh, I'll just read for you here in that story. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son who I have chosen. Listen to him. So this was God being represented as a cloud. And I like the fact that once again, it says that Jesus went up and there was a cloud there going back to God, that representation. The other part of this in terms of emphasizing Jesus' equality with God, Mark sixteen nineteen says, After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. This is mentioned several times in scriptures. Uh, Hebrews 1, 3 also talks about it, um, talking about after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And Jesus sitting at that right hand um, is symbolic of equality with God. It's an equal position, honor, power, and authority with God. Now, I think maybe I could, um, uh, I was going to, I can't remember the whole joke. Maybe it'll come back to me, but <laughs> um, yeah, it'll come to me. It'll come to me. I should have written it down. I, I thought it's not good to tell a joke just when you're talking about Jesus' equality with God, and maybe God doesn't want me to tell it because I can't remember it. So uh, if he wants me to tell it, he's going to have to give me a reminder later on. 
But anyway, if we think about the fact uh, in Philippians 2, uh, 5 to 11, it talks about how Jesus humbled himself. And you think, you know, some of the words here, um, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And you think of that humility. But then God went on, um, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So even though Jesus was in a humble state here on earth, he is now magnified and glorified and given highest honor in heaven. So let's talk about uh, two more reasons why the ascension is significant. It marked the beginning of Jesus' heavenly kingdom and ministry. Uh, one of the commentaries talked about W-I-J-D rather than W-W-J-D, which of course stands for what would Jesus do? And so he says, no, we should be asking what is Jesus doing? And so that's what uh, what we're going to talk about now for a minute. So it the ascension meant that Jesus did ascend and go to the right hand uh, of the Father. Um, I'll read a bit here. Being seated at the right hand of the Father signifies the beginning of the Messiah's kingdom. At the right hand of God, Jesus assumes authority over the world. All authority in heaven and earth rests in his hands. Well, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world... His reign ultimately extends over this world. God, Jesus, has ultimate control right now. And even though we think he doesn't have control, he has control over who is leading North Korea and who is doing what. He is allowing things to happen as they are happening. Um, But he has ultimate control. And that's important for us to recognize. If you think of the Lord's Prayer, you think, um, we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, We do want that, don't we? We do want that. We need to pray for that. Uh, 1 Peter 3.22 says, Jesus who has gone into heaven is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. There is no no thing in heaven or on earth or under the earth that is not subject to Jesus, that he does not have power over. That's pretty amazing. So what else is Jesus doing in heaven? Well, Jesus is an intercessor and a great high priest, the, the, the Bible tells us. Um, in Hebrews 7.25, it says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he lives to intercede for them. Jesus just has to turn to God and say, You know, I know... Um, I don't know what example to use. I I know that Jenna's had a tough day today. She needs an extra, um, you know, maybe she was difficult with somebody who came to the door for the 17th time in the office. Um, But uh, I love her and I paid the price for her. And sorry, Jenna, to use that. Could be any of us, right? Like how many times have we messed things up and Jesus is there and Jesus is there interceding us to have the strength to go on, to have the wisdom to do what we need to do. 
Um, another one, Romans eight thirty four. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. There are several times in scriptures where it talks about Jesus interceding for us. He's sitting there beside the Father interceding for us. What is Jesus doing now? The other neat thing to think about is what is Jesus doing now? He's actually preparing a place for you. We talked about the assurance of going to heaven, being resurrected. He's actually preparing a place for you. And I know while some of you want a place near the city, I would like a place near the country. Um, And he knows each of us and what brings us pleasure. And he's preparing a place for each of us. Is that that not neat? Like, I'm sorry, I get excited about that. I, I like real estate. Um, <laughs> I keep track of it. And, uh, you know, I go into some of those open houses and uh, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God uh, has prepared for those who love him. We will be amazed. Uh, we'll be excited. And it's pretty neat to think about. Um, the last thing I just want to emphasize with the ascension is that the ascension led to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. As I mentioned, this was 10 days after the ascension. Um, and uh, uh, that the, with that lag time, I think not only were, was the Trinity enjoying that wonderful fellowship, but the disciples were also being prepared and understanding that Jesus had gone into heaven and the ministry of the gospel was now in their hands. And I'm sure they took that time to really um, go, oh, wow, what are we going to do? Do we have a plan? Uh, You know, how is this going to come about? Are we really able to do it? Like, Thomas, what are you able to do? Andrew, what can you do? But they remembered that God said he was sending the Holy Spirit. And if you think of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit helped Jesus throughout his ministry. And Jesus wanted to ensure that the disciples had that same Holy Spirit for their ministry. Um, I'm not going to say too much more about um, the coming of the Holy Spirit because that's in a couple of weeks. Someone will be speaking to that. Um, but we do remember in Acts 2 how the Spirit did come in a very dramatic way. Um, it says like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Imagine tongues of fire leaping out from each of you. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in another language. Isn't that, it's really neat. It's pretty dramatic. Um, But someone else will be speaking about that. So let's move on. So I, I just want to spend some time now talking about God's supremacy and God's love. Um, As I mentioned, the reason I like uh, being asked to speak is just because it forces me to think about things. You know how we're asked to meditate on on things of God and important things in our faith and passages of scripture. And um, 
I loved the fact that I could I could spend time specifically thinking about these things. And I guess I'm a true daughter of my father. My father um, was a geometer, and he was always doing diagrams and pictures. And I'm one who learns best and thinks best, actually, through pictures. So I'm going to share some of the pictures um, that, that draw, drew me to the conclusion that I should be emphasizing God's love and his supremacy. Um, So we'll talk first about his supremacy, and I want to emphasize two points, that God reigns over all, and God is more powerful than Satan or any other being. These are two very important things for us to remember. Uh, The Trinity is a key belief of our faith. Uh, The Apostles' Creed talks about that, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, The stars in this diagram I've put on here because those are angels and heavenly beings. Um, So God is there reigning supreme over those heavenly beings um, and uh, also over Satan. Um, The Bible actually talks about Satan, and it's interesting um, to, to just look at that for a minute. Um, so the Bible tells us that Satan was once a beautiful angel in heaven with God. Satan became proud and jealous and wanted to be like God, and God threw Satan out of heaven. I remember Liam asking me questions like this in Sunday school, and he wanted to talk about what happened to Satan and all this, and I'm going, oh, my goodness. Um, But it is sort of interesting to think about. Remember all the passages where God hates pride? Maybe a lot of it stems from this, too. Satan was proud. Apparently, he was one of the most beautiful angels, and he was thrown out of heaven um, for his pride and for his wanting to be in charge. Um, I'm going to read you uh, a couple passages, Luke 10, 17 and 18. Um, so remember, this is the disciples speaking to Jesus. The 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, well, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Jesus was there when this happened. Of course, the demons are going to submit to Jesus. He's God. And God is way more powerful than Satan. I want to read you one more passage in Revelation 12, 7 to 9. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to earth and his angels with him. We're going to come back to God's supremacy in a minute, but just the reminder that God is way more powerful than Satan. I want to talk about God's love for a minute, and um, I love the fact we were singing uh, about God's overwhelming, um, unending love uh, today. The whole story of the Bible is about God's love for the world and for us individually Jenna reminded us a couple of weeks ago that creation was a labor of love from God to us. He created the world for our use and our pleasure. And we all know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
So God loves us tremendously. He loves us as a group, as mankind, as this congregation. He loves us individually. You think of that. You love your family. I can say I love my family, but I can also say I love those individuals as well. I love my mom. I love my sister. I love my daughter. I love my son. I love my husband. I should stop now because I won't include everybody, but you know I love love them all. Um, so I, I did this diagram because the fact that God made the world for us and he came and visited us uh, in the world, he didn't just leave us here. Um, we're going to go into that in, in the next slide. But there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. Uh, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But let's go on to combine these love and supremacy in Crazy Donna's um, diagrams. Um, So the first diagram is the one we just saw about God's love. And it's depicting the fact that God actually came down to fellowship with Adam and Eve. So God loved him and he wanted to spend time with them. I just love this picture. The Bible tells us that that God came and he planted trees and he came to walk with them. And he wanted to be with Adam and Eve. That's pretty neat. Um, I was, you know, I'm not a theologian. I I try to um, certainly not tell you anything that's... um, Uh, that's wrong or that's uh, dramatically out of step with what this denomination believes. And I hope someone would stand up and and declare me wrong if I said anything too wrong. But um, I'm not sure which one of God came down to walk in the garden. Now, I do understand that some theologians say that it's actually Jesus who came down to walk in the garden, and those appearances are called Christophany. So it's a temporary appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. I don't know whether it was Christ or who it was, but somehow God came down to walk in the garden, and that's pretty cool. He wanted to have fellowship with us. But the problem is, we know that Adam and Eve sinned. And so that coming to walk in the garden stopped. Um, But it doesn't mean that God stopped communing with us. And I started thinking about the fact that God continued to have the interaction with mankind and with us individually. And so I've drawn these dotted lines. We have more of these instances where Jesus the Son came down um, to speak and to help certain people. Um, It's uh, certainly when people were distressed or in need of direction. So Jesus came and appeared to, or he was called the angel of the Lord, which, which they're saying is God the Son. He appeared to Hagar in the desert, to Abraham multiple times, to Moses, to Joshua, to Gideon. Jesus, God just couldn't stop not coming down to fellowship with his people. And I thought that was pretty neat. The other thing to think about is the fact that the Holy Spirit shows up in the Old Testament quite frequently as well, as do angels. And angels do God's bidding. 
Um, So I just think that this, again, shows how much God loves us. He continually wants to have this um, communion with us, and he wants to talk with us and be with us and give us the direction. Um, And, of course, um, it's just this overwhelming love. And there's such an overwhelming love that God said, I'm going to send my son down here. As Bill reminded us last week, God could no longer tolerate the fact that there was this separation of sin and death that was separating um, us from him. And he said, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to send my son to die for these sins so that this barrier can be broken. Um, so what I've done here, did I already put it there? Uh, Wait a minute. So, so basically the son came and then, as we know, lived on earth and showed us the love of God for 33 years. And then, uh, as Bill mentioned, went down to Sheol, the place of the dead, and um, took away our sins and redeemed us. I found it interesting to think about um, the fact that Jesus said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when you think of that sweet fellowship that Jesus enjoyed um, while he was on earth, he enjoyed fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Um, And again, we had things like the transfiguration where God was shown in the cloud. But at that point of death, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, There is that time when he felt that he was alone. So he took and went down to Sheol. But then, of course, he rose from the dead. And it's neat to think how the angels attended Jesus at various times and the Holy Spirit. And we can read about that. Again, to me, it just shows the love um, uh, of God the Father for God the Son, but also God's love for us. And just going with this extensive plan, but not just having Jesus here sending the Holy Spirit, sending the angels to bid us um, and to help us. This uh, really points out, these slides, of course, um, the fact that uh, the supremacy part of things. And again, death couldn't hold him. And God's love and God's power is far superior to anything um, of Satan. So God the Son did go back to heaven, and you can see that now I have a dotted line there. Um, As Jesus um, conquered death, we now have a way to commune with God, and there is an escape from sin and death, and that no longer has to have dominion over us. And so that's just what it's depicting here. Um, I think it's important to remember that we do have the Holy Spirit to help us, And angels also come and continue to attend. There's some great missionary stories, um, and people have various stories about angels and multitudes of angels protecting them. And God still loves us and uses that method to speak to us as well. Um, It's important to remember that Jesus is going to come again, and uh, he is coming back to take us to his own. It's part of his kingdom work. And that's an important thing to remember as well. I thought it's neat. In Romans 8, it talks about 
Creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Have you ever thought about the fact, um, and again, Jenna talked about this a little bit, about how the earth is groaning? It's, you know, it, it doesn't like the state that it's in. And when Jesus comes again, not only will we be freed, um, but creation will be renewed. And uh, I, just, I just find that really fascinating to think about as well. Think of all the damage we've done, and God can quickly undo it. Just to end off, uh, I want to talk about what difference does the resurrection and ascension of Jesus make in my life. Um, first of all, what I want to say is that's up to you. Um, the reminders that we get today from talking about this is that God loves you. God is sovereign over all. Jesus reigns over all. He intercedes for you. The Holy Spirit is available to empower and direct you. I want you to be encouraged, and God wants you to be encouraged for this. Um, I have a few people reading some verses for us, and Lillian is the first one, and Dale's going to come and give Lillian a microphone, and Lillian will read the verses for us. Yes, yes, stay there, yeah. So the first reading is from Romans eight thirty four and 38. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, sorry, I'm so touched by what it says, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the second Corinthians five, 18 to 20 says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Thank you so much, Lillian. Just the reminders that we're God's ambassadors. We're the ones he's committed to spreading that message. There are people out there that have no idea that God loves, how much God loves us. And we're the ones that are supposed to tell them. Quite a responsibility. We have to have a kingdom perspective. Um, So we do have a job to do. And we need to remember that. And God has equipped us with the Holy Spirit. 
we need to be encouragers. We need to think of what service we can do for others. We need to, though, pray and enjoy that sweet fellowship with God. And as God allows us um, as evangelists and spreading the good news. So we need to have the kingdom perspective. Um, I have someone else uh, presenting. uh, My next one is Ilpo. Is going to give us a few verses again. Okay, the first verse is Matthew 19, 26. And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Second verse is Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. The next verse is John 14, Verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. And the last verse is Matthew 17, verse 20. You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us. Did you hear that? That Jesus said we'd be able to do even more powerful things than him. Do we latch onto that power? I don't know. I think sometimes we forget that that's available to us. Um, I have... One other person uh, reading, and that's Chad, uh, our last verse as we consider um, our job and also God's power. Thanks, Chad. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Thank you, Chad. And so just to end, um, I trust that you'll not only believe in Jesus' resurrection and ascension, but recognize God's supremacy, his great love for you, and that you'll utilize God's power to do his work uh, as his ambassador. Thank you.